You are listening to Ball Side Goal Side, putting coaches in a better position. Hosted by Ed Heberling and Eric Dabransky. All right, we're back here in uh, 2023 for uh, season three of Ball Side Goal Side. We're excited to have uh, one of my former players joining us this week, uh, Pascal Roca. Uh, phenomenal player, even more phenomenal person, uh, probably one of the most selfless people I've ever coached. Um, and I don't know if we'll get into it uh, too much, but she gave up her senior year to be a goalkeeper for our team um, with no goalkeeping abilities. But I'm really excited uh, for this interview. Pascal has done quite a few great things and uh, where she's at now is, is uh, tremendous as well. We're going to let Pascal talk a little bit about it, but she is the uh, program development manager for U.S. Soccer's extended national team, extended national team. Sorry, it's a lot to say, um, uh, but uh, uh, we're excited to have you here, Pascal. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to see you all. We've got the Sun Conference uh, past people here on this call, so good to see both of you guys for sure. The reunion, reunion—that's the word. Yes, I think uh, Pascal was your. Did you do? You, did you ever play at Johnson and Wales when it rained? <laughs> I think we've avoided that. That oh. experience. Okay, sure lucky was, you. We played minimal times at Johnson and Wales. Like, well, you like alternate every year, but yeah, yeah. Rain down there. Okay, that's fair. I I still remember the time that that we played Ed USCB. And I wasn't even there. That was the first year. <laughs> that was the first year. And you won. The year before my year. Yeah. So yeah. Year yeah. Yeah. I was. I, I introduced myself to Ed, and I said, "Oh, bye." <laughs> he, yeah. He's like. He's like. Oh, by the way, I'm the Cayman's national team coach. I got to go get on a plane and coach the national team. I and like, then I and call. then I just got text updates about what the what how the score was going. So, but uh, but no, I'm it's, sure it's, I was happy that. They got beat that day when you were there. Well, we got we got beat, and it was sideways rain, like yeah, just constant, yeah. constant rain. It was horrible. So, and that that was kind of just the the how it seemed to always go when we went to Miami. We get some kind of rain. So, uh, yeah, but he did, yeah, he did get the last some... laugh though. He got the la- He got the last win in the sideways rain, yeah. and and you know, and you know, Pascal, the the games between us were fun. I thought. And I think, you know, catching up in in things like this and, you know, we had, we had Poppy on as well. And, um, you know, I think it just, obviously it speaks to college soccer in general, but obviously it speaks to, to what, you know, terrific things you guys go on to do, you know, after playing college soccer, you know, the experience of playing college soccer is tremendous, but I think the what you all do in your careers afterwards is, is so much fun to follow as well. And, and I guess, you know, really diving into what your role now, and I guess if you could just kind of cover how, how have you gotten to this point in your career? Where, what, what it kind of guided you to, to this, uh, this opportunity? Yeah. So I'll start with, you know, in college, being able to be afforded that opportunity to play and not, not really getting many other opportunities, but Ed and the staff at USCB giving me an opportunity to come and play and and get to 
play throughout college was an amazing experience. And I think I was able to learn a lot during that time, which also propelled my like desire to stay in soccer. And, and the first initial thought was, you know, can I coach? And when I was graduating, I had a job lined up at USCB, but it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a passion of mine. It was kind of like, my parents were like, you've done all these things. Like during your college career, I was involved in extracurricular activities. I was part of student government. Like I did all this stuff. I networked with a bunch of people, but like, I didn't have a career path. So they're like, you're graduating, but what are you going to do? And so I took a job because I was like, well, I need to leave with a job. Um, But it really wasn't, you know, an opportunity that I cared all that much about passionately. Um, And so an opportunity presented itself actually with Kara, her name is now Kara Leal, Leal. It was Farnsworth at the time, um, who did some summer camps um, at USCB. And she was like, if you're interested in coaching, I know some people that have some jobs open. And so I jumped right in, um, got the opportunity at Colorado State University Pueblo, which is a division two institution out in Southern Colorado, packed up my car, got in and, and went. And honestly, for like pennies, like it was a part-time position I do, I have like told barely anybody about like what I was making. I was like, I'm just going to go and I'll figure it out from there. And I just want to be able to be involved in soccer and coaching collegiately was that opportunity. So I was there for five seasons, um, went from a part-time assistant to a full-time assistant within the five years. Um, and then took a bit of a hiatus outside of COVID, just needed to reset, kind of reconfigure what I wanted to do. And at that point, I was pretty okay with not being in soccer anymore. I kind of had walked away with that door shut and was kind of at peace with that. And then at six months later, I was like, nope, I want to be back. I want to be doing something with soccer. Like, it's been my life and it's been something I've always been passionate about and has given me so much that I just still wanted to be able to be a part of it. So I accepted a position at the University of New Mexico um, which is a division one institution in Albuquerque, New Mexico as their director of soccer operations. Um, so I was there for a year. And during that time as well, I was able to learn about the extended national teams at us soccer, um, which is where I currently am. So I worked with them part-time with their futsal program. I was a team coordinator. Um, so I would go out to their training camps, um, do like pre coordination of get everyone on their flights, get everyone to location, um, what, who's the roster, what what do the coaches want, get everyone there. We'd have our training camp, get everyone home, and then do some post-camp work. And so that's kind of what that looked like. So I did that for about six months, and then this opportunity to go full-time as a program development manager came up in uh, the fall. And, you know, I'm lucky and thankful that um, Jim Morehouse, my director, you know, wanted to take an opportunity and give me a chance and and here we are and I'm just thankful and grateful that I get to wake up every day and work around soccer that's great I yeah I I I, um I remember your your trip to Pueblo I remember your your struggles there in Pueblo starting out and all that and and everything um you know I honestly don't didn't realize though that you you went full-time um I I didn't realize the position actually moved full-time so that's great um and, and, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of you, Pascal, everything you've been doing. It's, it's awesome to keep up with you and see your successes. Um, you know, it, it's really, really is good. Um, if you could, please just tell us a little bit about that role with U.S. soccer's extended national teams, um, you know, and, and what drew your interest? I know starting out with futsal, that, that helped, but, uh, you know, were there other things that drew your interest into that program? 
Yeah, for sure. I'll start with kind of explaining our department because I don't think many people know. Probably a year ago, I didn't even know that it was a thing. So the extended national teams are home to um, nine national teams. Um, they are all different variations of the game of soccer outside of the 11 aside game. Um, so you obviously have your men's and women's national teams, then you have your youth national teams. So then we're home to everyone else. Um, so that includes uh, deaf men and women, which we've added within the past year. Um, we also have our CP men's national team and women's national team and their cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury or stroke um, is what's required to participate in that team. We then also have beach soccer on the men and women's side, as well as futsal men, we're adding the women. Um, and then we have lastly, our power soccer national team, which is a co-ed team that um, performs the sport of soccer on a court, like a basketball court, um, and they're all in um, wheelchairs. Um, so those are the kind of nine programs we're home to. We also work alongside our um, disability service organizations, which are members of U.S. soccer, but they're not tabbed as national teams. So there are a lot of grassroots programs. There are a lot of um, programs within the communities that are doing amazing work um, with different sorts of um, disability teams. So we also work alongside them. So my role, um, a lot of different things, which I enjoy doing is having my hands in a lot of different pots, but um, I'm currently working with our power soccer national team as they move into the World Cup in Sydney, Australia in October, um, which is a really awesome opportunity for them. Um, and just getting their newer programs, so getting them set up, making sure that everything's kind of worked out for them. They're used to kind of funding everything on their own. So now we fund all of their stuff and we support them and organize them and coordinate all their items. So um, that's been one piece of my role, as well as working with the disability service organizations. And we did the month of December our is Disability Soccer Month. Um, so on our end, through social media platforms, through Zoom events, um, we coordinate with them, just kind of getting the, their names out, getting the word out, telling people that there's all these organizations, grassroots organizations throughout the United States that not a lot of people know about, and there's opportunities for, for different kinds of people to get to play. And it's our mission to kind of create opportunities and show kind of everyone that there's opportunity in the US to play soccer in its many various forms. So we talk about the grass, the court and the sand because those are kind of the three platforms that um, our teams perform on. But those are kind of the two big things. I also help with any programming. So we have a couple events coming up throughout the year. Um, in March, our Adapt and Thrive Invitational is where five of our teams will train together um, They'll have their separate training camps, but in one location. It's kind of festival-like um, event. So that'll be happening in March in Chula Vista. And then we'll be launching a leadership program, um, the Adapt and Thrive Leadership Program in the summer. So we're really excited about some of the new things coming up that have been in the works for a long time. The Invitational is, I think, I believe our third year doing this. Um, but the program, will, the leadership program will be new. So we're really excited about some of the new things we can implement and then just also making sure our athletes have like a really great elite professional experience, which our men's and women's national teams get our youth national teams get. So our extended national teams also get treated the same way as everyone else. That's tremendous. And, and obviously the travel sounds extensive in terms of the events and, and, and doing, um, you know, getting everything coordinated. Are there principles that you've seen that translate 
from when you were when you were coaching college soccer and then maybe even as a director of director of ops to to this position although it's not coaching are there kind of principles that that are that you've seen that are very common yeah i think as you both know college coaching isn't just coaching there's like a 75% administrative duty on top of the yep. other percent that you actually have to be on the field and training. Um, so I think through those roles that I've had, being able to kind of um, show up and kind of manage myself in a way that, you know, there's projects that need to be done. There's timelines that need to be met. There's um, many different departments that touch on each sort of project or event that we're handling. There's also a multitude of staff that attend our events. So I think one is building relationships within, you know, different departments and understanding, okay, what is their role? How does it relate to this project or event? How can I help them be successful? What do I need to provide them with so that they can do their job to the best of the ability, but then also what do we need? Um, and I think once you build a relationship with people, it's easier to ask for things it's also easier to kind of maintain a level of, you know, this is our expectation. We want to come to every event. It needs to look professional. We need to, you know, be dressed appropriately. We need to, you know, show up on time. We need to be, to be able to hold people accountable. You need to have a relationship with them. I don't want to be a finger pointer. I want to be able to have, this is our expectation. How you get there is you do it as you see fit, but we need to just meet that expectation. So I think relationship building is a huge piece of that. And knowing that you care about people. I care about the success of our department. I've always cared. I've cared. I think that's probably something to a fault that I care a little bit too much as an athlete into my professional career. The success of our programs, the success of our department means something to me. So I'm going to do everything I can in my power to to make sure I uphold, you know, those promises that I believe that I've made. Yeah. And I can attest it in, in coaching with you, the, the, the success of the team and, and such was always a uh, very important for you. And, and, and uh, I know moving forward, I, I know you were quite successful with the, uh, in Pueblo and university of New Mexico is quite successful. And I, I know you're going to help uh, grow the extended national teams here. Um, um, you know, as you work with them as the pro program development manager, um, I think us as coaches, uh, you know, we always like to steal and learn from others and, you know, kind of see what's going on. Are there things like I, I, that you've seen within the extended national team that you're like, coaches, coaches could implement this or coaches could be doing this that will maybe have some more success or they could find, you know, uh, improve the relationships with their players, whatever it may be. Are there, are there things that you guys do there that, that, you know, maybe not groundbreaking, but, you know, would be easy for us to implement as coaches. That one's a bit of a tough one just because of how new I am in my role. Um, so I'm still sort of learning, but I think um, one of the big pieces is to always, I had a thought, I lost it. I'll go with this one. I'll go with this. I'll go with, I think sometimes as, I've seen working with coaches or even as a coach, we're kind of like blinders on and thinking about kind of our own, what we need to do, especially if you're a head coach, you're, it's important. Your job's important. There's a lot of people manage. There's a lot of things. So the blinders are on a little bit. I think for me and our department, the collaboration that we've been able to have through from my director to our technical director, to myself, you know, they're my bosses, but, 
on a daily basis, we're communicating and collaborating. And even if it's a project that they're not leading, I come to them and I'm like, hey, I'm not sure about this. Um, from a standpoint in our department, because we're a united front as a department, what do you see? How do you think this could improve? And I think that's not groundbreaking, but I think a lot of times we kind of just are afraid to ask. We're afraid to ask questions. Yeah. We're afraid to kind of like leave our pride and ego at the door and say, hey, I'm struggling. I don't know the answer to this. Can you help me? And I think that's something that I've had to work on. And But I think both um, Jim Morehouse and Stuart Sharp, who I work with, are very good at receiving my questions and then turning around and also asking me questions and asking my opinion and and where I see things as well. So I think collaboration is extremely important and something that if you're not already doing, you should be doing. Yeah. And and I think, and you bring up a great point because I think in my time since, since being a head coach and now being an assistant coach for for a few years now, it's like you go back and you reflect and and Ed and I always talk about it. And and you talk about the collaboration and and I would second I would kind of put right there with I sh I wish I would have trusted earlier in my career or and had patience in those moments and and like you said ask the ask the questions that would have helped a lot of my teams you know whether it was grow through a season or communicate better but I was just you know I never had that trust or you know within myself it wasn't I didn't trust our team. Um, so I think looking back, you just sit as an assistant and you kind of reflect and you, like you said, you have the, those blinders on and you're like, wow, you know, like you said, it's not groundbreaking, but it is something that has to be intentional. Yeah. And I you, um, as you move through different relationships with different coaches or different organizations and things of that nature, you kind of see it, you, you learn more about yourself. And I think that's what one thing I've noticed, especially the past couple of years, I've actually been living on my own um, from going from roommates to being around people all the time to like living on my own and just being able to like be self-sufficient. But at the same time, you also need to ask for help. So like things aren't going to always, you know, be roses and rainbows and unicorns. And I can't handle that all by myself, you know, so to be able to collaborate in a work setting, but even just even personally having a group of friends and even mentors and just even people in the professional world that you can go to and trust. And that even if I say something that I think might be dumb or like people would look at me and be like, why would you even ask that question? I feel comfortable like showing up as myself and that they're going to tell me the truth, but they care about me on the other side of it as well. Pascal with that and uh, the collaboration part, I'm actually, um, well, listening to a book, I was going to say reading, but I audible is the way to go. Um, uh, stop competing, start winning by Beth Lanier. She's the Utah volleyball coach. And actually, this is how they kind of start out the book. I, I just started it today, but it was funny because they talked about letting go as a coach and being able to delegate and, and, and that, um, in your experience, what's the best way to kind of, to build those connections and to find out, you know, what's really good. Pascal likes to be in soccer, but she doesn't want to coach, you know, like, so we got to find something for her to do. How, how do you, how would you recommend for coaches to kind of go about that delegating process or how have your, your staff done that with you guys at the extended national teams? I think it all, I'll speak for myself in the sense, although I've like not been, you know, the head coach or like always been the leader that's had to delegate. I've had opportunities to do that. And I think one of the things is that it's a slow process, but every day 
kind of having a conversation that doesn't have to do with work. So in the sense of like items or to-do lists or whatever, even if I can just talk about what your coffee order is or um, something of that nature or what TV show you like to watch that has like nothing to do with, you know, our jobs and stuff, then I can kind of get a sense of like, okay, they're more extroverted. They're more introverted. They prefer to like have a schedule and they don't like to be flexible from that. They want to know three weeks in advance, or we can do things last minute and they will be perfectly fine. You know, and on the other end too, if someone is giving you a schedule and you're not the most flexible, can I be a little bit more flexible in this? And it's taking small increments. It's not, we need to change who we are in one day because that's just not the reality of it. But I think taking small snippets of how do I improve this a little bit? How do I, can I ask her to do this? And if she comes back and it's not the greatest job, maybe we should just not have her do that the next time. Or I need to teach her how, or a better way that a more efficient way to do it. So I think it's, again, having patience and understanding the time on the front end if you spend the time on the front end to teach and to observe and to learn on the back end, you're not having to do as much work. It's because then I'm not having to redo things because we had this conversation beforehand and I know you're really good at that. So we're going to do this now instead of three weeks into a project. And I'm like, oh, probably should have delegated that to her instead of this. And it's just a learning process too. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all not great at everything. Um, we're human beings. And I think giving each other the space and the kind of the grace to like not be good at it right away and that they're going to flop a little bit but here's some adjustments you can make to like help you the next time thanks that's great I think that um you know as as, as coming from someone that hasn't been a head coach that's a good perspective to come from someone you know that to help us out to help delegate to help uh go there it's kind of the same thing when it comes to um talking to your players every day you know, you don't don't talk with to soccer about them, but go around and, and talk to them, see how their day is. The same thing we need to be doing with our coaches to to build that rapport and make sure that we understand what's going on. So appreciate that insight there, Pascal. Um, you know, back to kind of uh, your, your coaching and your past and what's what is uh, something you're passionate about uh, and how does it guide your decisions, goals and aspirations? What? Yeah. I think probably one of my biggest passions is just overall like experience. I want everyone around me and anyone in my programs or in organizations that I'm around to have the best experience possible. And so it comes from my youth soccer days where I necessarily didn't have the best experiences and I ne wasn't necessarily the best soccer player. And we can talk about this all day, but I was not the fittest. And I can tell you that right. Ed knows that I was not there and I can reflect on that and say that what were my coaches doing when I was in the youth levels that, you know, wasn't really aiding my performance or aiding my comfort level, just even showing up to training and doing well. And like, why were my experience not that great? Are there things that I could have changed, you know, as a 15, 16, 17 year old, or, you know, was it the environments that I was in? So now that I have you know, the playing experience, but also some of the coaching experiences with teams to look at their environments are really important to me and that they come and have the best experience possible and that they leave feeling like they've been treated like the men's and women's national team and that they're representing their country at the highest level, which they are. So they should be treated as such. And so for me, 
even if it's little things that we change, if it's a little bit more work that I have to do, if it's um, taking a little bit more time to look at facilities or different things to make sure that they're getting the best experience possible, that's kind of my biggest passion point at this point in my life. I think passions change. I think directions change. So um, that's a probably a big passion piece for me. And I think with goals and aspirations, it's more of a process for myself. It's a daily wanting to show up and do my best and I'm going to flop and flail and I'll probably make mistakes and somebody might not be happy one day or the other, but for me, every day showing up and doing my best and, and pushing forward our department is where my goals and aspirations are now. I used to be the five, 10 year planner. And now I've gotten to the point where like, I really want to be present in what I'm doing currently. And I don't want to think about kind of what's next. There's obviously planning stuff that you have to do within your profession, but for personal goals. I want to be the best I can be at my job in this given time with the information, the resources that I have. And once I move through the day, then tomorrow is going to be a new day and I'm going to think about it the same way. But I'm very passionate about being present and I can be an overthinker and I can, you know, get into that dreamer space where we all have dreams and goals and, you know, want to do all these amazing things. But I, to think of how lucky I am that every day I get to wake up and be around soccer and travel the world and be around elite athletes that play at the highest level that they could play and represent their country. That to me is yeah. more than amazing. So I'm just grateful for every day for sure. Yeah. And that just, again, it just sounds incredible in terms of, you know, your career path and the opportunities. And, and, and I asked you earlier about, those principles that that were translatable from college and so on. I guess you mentioned the playing a little bit in, in terms of the college, the, the college playing. What did that experience, um, what kind of came from that that helps you in the role that you're in now in terms of trying to provide and from college coaching, really trying to provide, provide these elite athletes um, the experience that, you wanted when you were a college athlete that you wanted to give your college athletes when you were a college coach. And now in this role, what are some things that, that you really want to, you know, be the forefront when, when these athletes are experiencing uh, an event in another country or another state or another area. And, and this is their, this is their moment to really, you know, uh, enjoy what they've accomplished and what they are going to accomplish. For sure. I think, you know, just within my playing career, you know, everywhere we went, we went on a bus and it was like eight hour drives to Miami or whatever it might be. But within those opportunities, and although through my career, I've gone from playing and riding in eight hour buses to then coaching and we were riding in eight hour long bus rides. And then, you know, in New Mexico, luckily enough, we were able to fly to some locations and now I'm able to fly and, and I've been able to see that, that progression of of how that changes an experience, but at the same time, the valuable experience of spending eight hours on a bus with a bunch of your friends and people you care about, and the way that those relationships over time, you know, they're still my best friends. They're still the the people that I care about the most. They're the people I talk to every day. They're the ones that kind of know all those things. So from an experience standpoint, I think that's valuable. Um, at the same time too, I also think that not having certain things for me when I was in college and we were doing those things, I thought it was the best thing in the world. I was like, we're traveling to Miami. I get to play. 
I get to be with my friends. Like it was like, so I think sometimes we kind of look at like the flashy stuff as making an experience better, but it's really, you know, how can I create opportunities within camps where they get to hang out with each other, where maybe it's not eight hours on a bus, but do we have breaks in between sessions where they can rest and relax, but also congregate with each other and have, you know, time together if we're traveling internationally or even domestically, is there something within the time that we're there that we can go see or do? Is our hotel in relation to walking distance to some things that we can go walk, they can get a coffee or like do those sorts of things because also they're adults. So it's a different scenario than kind of college athletics. But I think also to the people that are there in the environment. So when I'm a coordinator and I'm at camp, the way that I show up, the way that I present myself, the way the energy that I have, even though I'm not coaching, aids into the experience that they have. I remember Ed and Mike showing up to sessions when it was like raining and muddy and none of us wanted to be there. And they were like all about it. And it makes you want to be all about it. And I've also, you know, worked with coaches that are the same way. Like some days it was like snowing in Colorado. And I'm like, I really am not. I'm not for this. And I know the players aren't really for this, but my head coach would show up and she's like, all right, let's go. And I'm like, this is an experience building opportunity. If I show up and I'm miserable, then they're going to be miserable. But if I show up and I take this opportunity as a way for them to grow and enjoy it, then I'm going to do that. So I think there's different pieces that from my playing and coaching experience that I think has helped me just show up better in those environments, especially sometimes when I'm not feeling great or, you know, I've been up, I've been working 18 hours and I've got three hours of sleep and we've got to do it again the next day. But then I also think back to my previous job at the University of New Mexico, we won two championships in the two seasons that I was there. They had just won a championship the year before that spring COVID year. And so being able to be in an environment where they're performing at an elite level, the best in the Mountain West, qualifying for national tournaments. Um, one of our alumni just got drafted to racing Louisville um, in the third round, which was a first for our program. Um, those things are, you know, being around that also propels, okay, how did we show up in training? How did we show up in the office? How do we show up in travel? Those sorts of things kind of, how did our head coach, who is an amazing teacher of the game and has so much joy when she teaches um, that it's infectious to everyone. And that's how, you know, I want to show up and I want to create, even if it's our athletic trainer, I'm like, Hey, energy's got to be up. You don't have to be rah, rah, but you just put a smile on your face, walk around and, you know, we want to be here. They want to be here. So I think that's important pieces that I've learned throughout all of my short career. Yeah. And, and I, I always, shock a smart uh, college basketball coach would always say is co as coaches or even as people in other industries the one thing you always control is your energy and uh, you never control whether you know you can't fully control whether a drill goes the right way or an exercise goes the right way you know or perfectly in your mind but you control the energy and and that that obviously directly affects um your team and, and the people around you i'm going back to what you had said earlier about you know, being more present and obviously going from, from wanting to look 10 years out to now, obviously, you know, pulling the telescope, but kind of, in the, you know, uh, pulling it back a little bit. You know, I always tell people my favorite phrase is be where your two feet are. And, and, you know, but I feel like when we're in the sport of soccer and, and, and obviously we're all here because we love it, but I do blame it for some things too. 
<laughs> in terms of sometimes the the hectic uh, schedule and the and the craziness. Um, you know, where did I guess? How did you kind of come to the realization or or understanding that you were going to become more effective being present, and and how that allows you to be really good at what you do now, and and be more well, just enhance your 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 role. Yeah, I think when I kind of took my like life break or hiatus from from adulthood, as I call it sometimes, um, it gave me a lot of time to reflect on on how I was performing or how I felt I was performing in my job and even in my life, just being a human and was I being a good person? How was I treating the people around me? Was I affecting situations positively or negatively? And I had realized, honestly, probably for most of my life, but especially through college into um, that my first professional job was that I was living in a state of stress at all times. And it's because I'm innately a people pleaser. And I see that because my mom is also that way. So I can like look at her and be like, okay, you're trying to please people. And then I'm like, okay, I'm also trying to do that. So I wanted everyone to be happy and good. And when you're living with people in college and you're seeing people all the time, and then I was super involved, not only with our team, but in extracurricular activities as well, that I was always like on the go, like always doing something, always like I had to be doing things all the time. And I think that even reflected when I then was in my job, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be, I wanted to give, you know, let's do one-on-one training. Let me coach club. Let me do private lessons. Let me do this. And part of it was financially, I needed to do that. But at the same time, it was like a personality trait where like I needed to do all this stuff. And so then you go through COVID which I was also doing my master's degree online during COVID. And we were still like working. We weren't on the field training, but we were communicating with our athletes, making sure they were okay, making sure their classes were. So like, I never got like a break through COVID. And then I was so burnt out that I would, that when I decided I was like, okay, I need to take a break. I reflected on how I was in like a stress anxiety all the time, like for probably like six years maybe longer than that. And when I finally got to like, just breathe for a minute, it made me also realize that like, I had to take it a day at a time at that point in my life. I was, we're just getting through the days. Yeah. Myself out of the rut and you can't get out of a rut by looking a year or two ahead. You just got to get up every day. And I was working for my dad at the time who worked, who owns a sign company, which is so far left field from soccer. And I was, it was a nine to five and I would show up, do my job, go home. And for me at the time I needed my brain to shut off and I needed to just do that. But it also showed me that I, that just doing that, waking up, attacking that day and then going to the next was leaving me with more energy the next day to show up again and do it again. I think I was so like exhausted every day that I was just kind of like roaming through the wheels. And now I have the opportunity that every day I can wake up. I'm full of energy. I take care of myself in the ways that, you know, are important to me. I exercise, I eat, I've tried to eat as well as I can. I try to socialize with my friends and my family, um, especially moving a lot. Cause I've moved a lot the past couple of years. I don't always have, you know, 
friends that are like right in where I live, but I communicate with the people that are close to me and that I care about the most. And I try to make sure that I like do stuff for myself on a daily basis so that I can stay present. Because if I don't do those things, then I start, the lens starts to kind of grow a little bit. And then I'm looking at something that like doesn't even matter at the time. Yeah. And so those are some of the important things. And then one of, um, we lost one of our best friends this year um, in July. Uh, she was one of my teammates. So Ed knows her as well. And I think when you lose someone so young and so important to you, it puts a lot of things into perspective. And I think at the time, and I've always been open to opportunity and I'll say yes to like a lot of things because I, I think it's an awesome trait to have, but being closer to family and, and being closer to friends was then became an important thing. It's like, I have to be around the people that matter the most and and that changes your perspective so I think some of those things kind of shut the lens closed and was like for you to you know be at your best you have to show up every day and just kind of do what you can and then the next day comes yeah it's it's always fascinating because obviously being in coaching and being in in the environment of soccer and and having that that career defined by by soccer, which is obviously we're all grateful and we're all thankful. Um, but you always, you always tend to wonder that initial portion of your career. Do you always have to go like all in a hundred miles an hour? Can you taper back a little bit? Can you, because I think, you know, we're all just kind of taught to get, you know, get thrown into the fire and, and, you know, say yes to everything. And then you'll learn to kind of take inventory on what's, you know, what's valuable, what's not valuable, but it's, I just think when you sit back and reflect and and it's, you know, I think the three of us would all agree. It's like the only way you enhance your organization is when you're present and, and, and you're the full you with energy, with, with passion, with, with, you know, with that, with that decisiveness to, to, you know, um, interact and connect with your, with your organization that just takes a lot of a lot of work and in terms of it it takes intent and purpose to really focus on what how to how to get to that point but i just feel like some of us we just burn ourselves out so quickly and it's it's almost like we just need to tell others around us like hey pump the brakes like you know there's you know um there's different ways to go about it in terms of saying yes and saying no but but I just haven't, I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it yet because in terms of you do still see a lot of coaches getting burnout and just lighting, lighting the candle on each side and, and just, you know, kind of finally meeting in the middle and you're just like, I, I can't do it. You know, I need a break. Yeah. And there's, I think the hard part is there's no rule. There's no book. There's yeah. no book that I can give a coach and say, follow this and you're going to have the best experience as a coach and you're going to be a coach for 50 years and you're going to love it and everything's going to be all dandy. It's like every journey and every person's, you know, road is so different that, you know, like I am by myself and can travel and I don't have responsibilities and I don't have an animal and I don't own this, you know, I don't have a lot of responsibilities outside of my job that limit me to saying yes to a lot of things. And I think, you know, some people, you know, have kids and are married and, you know, want to be near their family, like in the city and don't want to live outside of a certain state. And there's all sorts of different, you know, experiences and situations, but we always have to, I think, do what's best for us in the moment with the information that we have. And I think that's where going back to the 
to the present moment. And we're always used to attaching our work ethic with working harder. And it's, I believe in, you know, our profession that we're hired to do a job because of the experience and the knowledge and of the skill set that we bring. And if I can do something in three hours and that's my to-do list for the day and there's nothing super pressing, my workday is three hours. If I need to be at the office for 16 hours or I need to be at training camp for 16 hours because that's our day and that's what that looks like, then that's, it's not, I need to work 75 hours a week to show that I'm worth it. It's I, my bosses and my, you know, the organization and these people trust me. And it's different when you have different supervisors and it's, we can get into the weeds about all that. Um, But I believe that I'm entrusted to complete a job. And if I can do that at the best of my ability, efficiently and quickly, great. But I'm not tied to the more hours I work, the better I am at my job. And so I think that helps me kind of limit the burnout. We work odd hours. I know I'm going to work on weekends. I know I'm going to work on holidays. I know, you know, I might travel places and, you know, be on different time zones. Like I know that's a reality in our space, but that doesn't mean when I have a weekend or it's five o'clock and there's nothing, you know, super pressing that week that my email shuts off. You know, I used to be like, check my email all the time. Even like I'm sitting on the couch, like watching TV, checking, like, I don't need to be doing that. There's not, the world's not going to end today. Like I can solve that problem tomorrow. Like they're going to be okay. And I think it took me a long time to get to this space because I care. I care. I want things to get done. I want, you know, to do it quickly and efficiently, but that's not good for my well-being. That's not good for other people's well-being because I answer an email at 8 p.m. And then then they feel like they have to answer back at 9 p.m. And now I'm putting them also in a bad situation. And I don't want to promote that kind of work culture. And so I think it takes time to figure out what works best for each individual. You know, some people do like to do maybe they work a couple hours on the weekend because that's some quiet time that they get to themselves and they're most productive or they have a side job like a podcast and they've got to do it, you know, some editing or something like that in time that's not, you know, during the week. So there's different situations and scenarios, but if you don't try to figure out what works for you, you're going to run into a, it's going to teach you instead of you learning how (laughs) how it works for you. And I got taught, I got taught hard, but I'm glad I got taught at 26. Yep. Because now, you know, I have the rest of my life to do it the way that I want to do it. And that benefits me best. Not everybody's had that luxury, but it, it takes a lot of work. It takes time and it takes energy. And like you said, it takes intention. Yeah. But if you want to be in soccer or if you, whatever part of your career for longevity, there's things that, you know, you have to figure out that works for you. And Pascal, thanks. That's that's amazing. It's awesome. I'm I'm sitting here thinking of when yours and my journey started. Uh, I think it was a cold November night, Savannah, Georgia, uh, where I got to see you play the first time, and then to see now where you're at and where your thought pattern pattern processes are and and such. It's it's amazing. I, I'm like I said earlier, I'm proud of you. Um, appreciate you uh, coming on here and speaking with us. Um, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I I I um I hope some people reach out to you and, and you can help mentor some, some young, some young, uh, aspiring people. Cause I know there's people that want to stay in soccer. 
but they don't want to they, like you, they don't want to coach, but they don't know what else is out there, what else they can be doing, yeah. um, you know, and they think, oh, I've got to go into coaching or I can't do it, but they don't realize that there are other avenues and opportunities. So hopefully there's so many, I like, just want to make that point that there's like, not only just from working with one team in a collegiate environment, but you, we all know administrators, we all know not many people want a referee, but there's you know, organizations that, you know, help that there's, there's so many different avenues that, and if I can help anyone just pinpoint a direction, I'm happy to do so for sure. Appreciate that, Pascal. Now we're going to get you off guard a little bit because uh, I forgot to give you a heads up, but we're going to do the finishing drill. All right. The finishing drill is uh, some rapid fire questions. You just give a, a quick answer. All right. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's kind of how we'll, we'll finish the, the session. Are, are you ready? Cool. Yep. Let's they're do not it. too. They're not too difficult. They're not 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 too personal. So so hopefully hopefully we can do this. So uh, first one. Well, what's your favorite book? Oh, think I think it's called Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty or something like a monk. I can't remember the title. <laughs> it's a really good book. Awesome. All right. Uh, what's your favorite team? Who do you support? That's a tough one. We're just gonna go with uh, the U.S. national team. <laughs> I, I was I, great answer. I was, I was wondering where. Uh, so I so Pascal's Canadian, so I didn't know. Oh, I'm actually I'm actually a dual citizen. You are a dual citizen. Yes. There we yes. go. Okay. But for the uh, sake Ed, of everyone involved, yeah. um, we're gonna go with the United States. That, that's a that's a very, All right. very good answer. Ed, yeah. Ed said this wasn't gonna get personal, but I have a question: Who's the better athlete, you or your brother? Um, Matthew is for sure. Ed put me up to that one. <laughs> I figured something would come up. Um, Matthew's the athlete of the family. I'm just the supporting role. Um, he's won more gold medals in bowling than I think anybody's ever really in life. Yes, he's a fantastic bowler. He loves basketball. He loves when Ed sits next to him and watches him eat hot dogs. Um, they actually share the same birthday, so they have a special yes. bond. But um, Ed, Matt, him and Ed. Yep. Yes. Oh, yes. that's that's terrific. Yeah. So that's why I usually remember one of their birthdays is because it's on the same. <laughs> but yeah, Matthew reigns supreme in all things. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you guys shared a birthday. That's awesome. Yeah, Matthew. Matthew's awesome. Um, we were at Moe's on a Monday night. Do you remember this? And it was his 21st birthday. And that's where he wanted to go to have his first beer. It was, oh, uh, it was Moe's. It was, yeah. They don't serve those there. So that also didn't really help the situation. Yeah. But yeah. we're a big Moe's family. Um, <laughs> Colette, my mom, was in town this past weekend. And we had to eat at Moe's. So. Oh, that's funny. Moe's family. But yeah, All right. Start. And then uh, last one for the finishing drill, Pascal. All right. Um what do you enjoy to do in your free time? What's your, what's your stress relief? In the summertime, I like to paddleboard. So luckily enough, like when I lived in Colorado, there was a reservoir. So I was able to start doing that. So that's my summertime hobby. Um, I like to read a actual book, not audible. I like the paper reading of, um, I also don't like the screen reading um same I can't do it it hurts my eyes I spend yep. enough time on the screen during the day I don't need to do that yeah but I've become of I'm oh I always have a book 
next to my bed um, at all times. So reading's another one. Um, stress, I like long walks where I can like listen to a podcast and especially living in a new area and stuff like that. Just being able to kind of see different things and kind of find hidden spots and those sorts of things. So that's probably a couple of my hobbies. Awesome. Um, well, I, I do have one more question for you. How can our listeners follow and keep up with the U.S. Uh, soccer's extended national teams? Yeah, so we have um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, our Instagram handle is U.S. Soccer underscore ENT. Um, same for Twitter. And then if you type in U.S. Soccer extended national teams into Facebook, um, our page will pop up. So those are all the ways. And then you could also find us on ussoccer.com if you want any more information about not only our teams, but also our disability service organizations. Awesome. Thanks, Pascal. Uh, we appreciate having you on here. Uh, it's a pleasure catching up with you. I've, I've yeah, I've caught up, kept up with you through social media and such. Um, you know, we text here and there sometimes, but uh, it's really good to see. I'm proud of you and, and to see uh, the success that you're having and, and uh, I think your, your mental growth as well and your mental well-being uh, you can yeah. I can I can tell too you're whoo, and it, it's really good to see I, I I really appreciate this Pascal it's great catching up with you yeah I appreciate it guys nice to see you both If you enjoy our show, please follow and subscribe to our weekly podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Anchor FM. Also, follow us on social media on Twitter at ball underscore goal underscore side and on Instagram on ball side goal side.